0: Hello, hello, everybody. This is Dr. Eeks, your host of Causes or Cures. How is everybody doing? Hopefully okay. Thank you so much for being here and joining in to this episode of Causes or Cures. It is always good that you're here. So today on Causes or Cures, we are going to talk about another COVID-related topic, sort of sort of. We are going to dive into the relationship between asthma and COVID. Because if you've been following the news, it's been confusing. It's, it's been confusing for me. Um, does COVID make asthma worse? Is asthma a significant risk factor for COVID? If so, what type of asthma? Um, you know, severe, mild? Um, should people who have asthma do anything differently Uh, in order to prepare or or help prevent a severe COVID infection. So, and and, you know, the news has been, the headlines have been a little bit mixed and, and people are like, is it a severe risk factor or isn't it? My guest today is Tanya Winders, who is CEO of the Allergy and Asthma Network that represents millions of Americans. And I know a lot of people who have asthma and allergies, so... You guys might benefit from this podcast. There might be some helpful information in here for you. And this goes beyond COVID, I want to stress that. So, you know, because this organization is is around all the time, but I think COVID probably was a busy season for them given that COVID is a disease that impacts the lungs, right? Anyhow, Tanya is going to talk more about the relationship between COVID and asthma. Help us make sense of that relationship, what does the evidence say. Um, She's obviously been on top of that because of what she does, so it'll be great to get her perspective on that. She's also going to talk about what her organization has been prioritizing during the pandemic, what they're doing in the way of research, um, as well as some of the virtual events they offer that some of you guys who who have asthma or allergies might benefit from. She's going to talk about lifestyle changes people can make To help better their lives if they have asthma, Um, steroid treatment. What's the story on that? And also the social determinants of health: social factors, environment, job, uh, you know, neighborhood level factors that impact someone's risk of asthma or how severe it is or how hard it is to manage. She's going to talk more about all of those things. So, like I said, this podcast is COVID related, but it also goes beyond COVID. And um, I know that lots of people out there struggle with asthma and allergies. Uh, I have asthma, so I get it. And I do lots of stuff to control my asthma. I'll tell you that. But um, this is great. So this was a great podcast for me to do, too, just on a personal level. All right, guys, let's connect with Tanya and hear what she has to say. All right, everybody. On the line today, we have Tanya. Winders, who is the CEO of Allergy and Asthma Network, which is a nonprofit organization that represents over 50 million Americans. Tanya, thanks so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me today.
0: Absolutely, and um, I have to say, I went to your website and I absolutely love it. Um, and I also have asthma, so I was <laughs> taking notes too. Yes. Um, Thank you. I will pass that along to the team. They'll be very excited to hear that feedback. Yeah, no, it was really, you know, just from a scientific communications perspective, it was very clean, easy to understand, easy to navigate. Um, So as I was going through it, I was like, I have to tell her how much I like her website. So um, yeah, hats off to your team. Anyways, let's start. Can you talk about how did you get involved with the allergy and asthma network?
1: Sure. So, you know, actually it goes back um, almost 20 years, 25 years now, when I was um, number one in pharmaceuticals. Um, I ended up in the space of allergy and asthma medications. And so I had some interest at that point, of course, learning the scientific ropes and um, engaging in clinical discussions with providers and stakeholders. Little did I know that I would then go on to be the mom of five. Children in six and a half years, and all of them have that history of atopy and allergy and asthma and eczema. So, we are that traditional, what we call, allergy march family. Mm. And um, so, then as a patient uh, and a caregiver, as a parent advocate, uh, it became natural for me to get involved in, you know, just a community. Of like-minded individuals, and so that's when I first connected with Allergy and Asthma Network, and then uh, after 15 years on the for-profit side of the business, had the opportunity to come and be full-time at Allergy and Asthma Network as the second CEO in our organization's 37-year history.
0: Wow, that's that's uh, quite a story, um, quite a journey for you. And as I was reading on your website too, which I found interesting. Um, that the organization was founded in 1985 um by a woman who whose daughter had Asthma, and she she felt like there wasn't good information out there, so she was there with her typewriter at her kitchen table. I really love that imagery. Yeah, so
1: you know it's sort of a throwback picture, right? So sitting at your yes. kitchen table uh, before the internet was really a thing, before we all had laptops and um, smartphones at the end of our fingertips. And so Nancy Sander, the president and founder, had a very ill daughter with food allergies and asthma and mm-hmm. um, and environmental allergies, and so she. She started writing a newsletter and it got picked up um, by the Kaiser Permanente system and got wow. shared with other patients. And then that got picked up by some national media and the organization was born.
0: Wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's like such, that is truly a grassroots initiative right there.
1: Yes. That that took off. So um, um, little did she know that, you know, here we were 37 years later and that on an annual basis, Allergy and Asthma Network would now reach over 6 million people directly with our programs and our resources each and every year. So, you know, I often think about her at that kitchen table and think if she had only known what the future held.
0: No, that's, it's such a great story and it's such a great photo. I mean, I loved it um so let's let's talk about your organization covid-19 obviously covid is a respiratory illness how has your organization shifted its priorities um what are you hearing from your network
1: yeah so you know the last two years really has been just i know we've said it but just unprecedented times right and so back in march 2020 Uh, I remember the day like it was yesterday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day 2020, we made the decision to host our first COVID-19 webinar and we had no idea how many people would show up or what you know really would be the um, interest from the community. Since that time, so just under two years, over 200,000 people have shown up for our monthly COVID webinars And over 300,000 unique visitors come to our COVID-19 Information Center each and every month. Wow. And, you know, it's one of those times where you sit and, and you think, how do we just take it day by day, respond to the needs of the community, and in doing so, created an entire new opportunity and program area and way to engage, educate, and empower patients.
0: And yeah, and again, I was reading some of your um, information on your website, and um, it's great. And I wanted to uh, to ask, you you know, and and I've been following the research, uh, you know, COVID and asthma, and I thought you guys captured the nuances of it pretty well. So can you give us just a little bit of an update in terms of what does the research say? What does the latest evidence say when it comes to asthma and COVID-19?
1: Yeah, you know, it has been a little bit confusing. And when you hear the, the headlines or the media about this, because what we know is that if you have controlled asthma, then more than likely you have better outcomes if should you contract COVID, right? On the flip side, if you have uncontrolled asthma and contract COVID, you have greater risk of... Um, hospitalization, ER visit, ventilation, and unfortunately mortality. So there was some back and forth earlier in the pandemic around do systemic steroids or inhaled steroids have protective value for patients? And what we have seen is that absolutely it all is dependent on that status of control. What do I mean by control? Not having nighttime symptoms, being able to do all the daily activities you want to be able to do without taking your quick relief medication too frequently. Um, You know, those are the kinds of things that help us to define, is a patient Um,
0: well-controlled? That's a great way to put it. And, you know, and some people may not even know, you know, if if their asthma is um, well-controlled or not. You know, some people just kind of ignore these symptoms and let them go. Which is which is kind of going to bring me to my next question. You also have a great section on your website on the social determinants of health, and we all we hear those words so much in public health because um, we're not really great at at addressing them. But I, I thought, can you talk a little bit more about those and you know as they relate to allergies and asthma and and kind of you know and what happened during the pandemic too? Because I think that really put a spotlight on. Um, you know, with just the inequalities and, and it's just how the social determinants of health really do matter when it comes to um, the pandemic and stuff like that and how, how you're going to do during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, you are absolutely correct. Here's what we know. There are systemic issues that plague underserved communities, poor socioeconomic communities that often are also, also uh, ethnic are racially divided, right? And so those individuals have systemic uh, challenges when it comes to food security, housing security, education. Um, and all of those things build the community, the environment for poor access to quality health care. And so, as I said earlier, it takes an engaged person. Um, to then be educated, to then be empowered. And oftentimes we're thinking and talking at that higher level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs around empowerment before addressing the very basic needs at the base of Maslow's hierarchy of food, belonging, security, all of those key things that are Um, those systemic injustices that have existed in our nation, and that certainly the pandemic has shown a spotlight on. Now, in allergy and asthma, unfortunately, we know that persons of color are at higher risk for ER visits, for hospitalization, and for death. Actually, about seven times when it comes to the African American population versus the Caucasian. We also know Puerto Ricans specifically are at a higher risk for uh, asthma burden and mortality. And so these are the kinds of racial inequities and disparities that we have addressed through one of our key programs. It's called Not One More Life. And it is a program that actually partners with faith-based organizations and community-based organizations to do live health screenings in the community uh, through trusted messengers. And then we stratify the results of those health screenings into low risk, medium risk, and high risk groups. And the high risk group we then invite to participate in a six week telehealth coach program for free. And this involves remote monitoring of things like lung function, exhalation breath at night, uh, pulse oximetry, and more. And what we find is that by developing self-management skills through a validated program like Not One More Life, we're actually able to increase lung function, quality of life, and reduce the use of ER visits and rescue medication when it comes to asthma or COPD.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And it's so great that you um, connected with the the religious, uh, the places of worship too, because I know that they're so valued in um, particular communities and they're always there. And, you know, people, People like going to them. They feel comfortable going. Um, so that's great. I mean, that's that's a community public health initiative right there. Um, really,
1: you know what? The other thing we found is that unfortunately, the younger um, side of that population and community was not coming to the church. Mm. And so we looked for where are they going and how can we connect? And we began to see places like uh, barber shops and hairstylists, you know, oh. braid stylist. Yeah. Uh, Certain restaurants in Atlanta, we participated uh, with a restaurant called Slutty Vegan to do an event uh, (laughs) that really targets 18 to 40 year olds from the the African American neighborhood. And so it's been through those sort of creative partnerships at the community-based level and the faith-based level that we've been able to
0: really reach the masses. That's fantastic. Um... Another statistic that caught my attention on your website was, um, in research funded by the NIH between 1993 and 2013, the inclusion of different races and, and minorities was less than 5% for respiratory diseases. And as you know, this is, this has been an ongoing issue in research in general. Um, what has that improved at all? Are, are people looking to improve that? Is there anything being done? absolutely so you know
1: allergy and asthma network has has had a commitment to diversity in research and clinical trials for a long time but over the last two years again with the pandemic just as you said The light has been shown on the inequities and the way that the full community is rarely represented. And so we have a current um, Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, PCORI Engagement Award, uh, where we have engaged over 3,000 African Americans and 2,500 Latinos specifically to help address the myths and misperceptions around participation in clinical trials and asthma and COVID. And so we've used those town hall sessions, um, as a dialogue series to really understand what are the concerns, how do we address them and how do we ensure that people understand where there are opportunities to be more engaged in research that makes a difference for patients across the, the world.
0: Well, that that's great. Um, and I, and I, I'm positive, you know, I think the future, um, We'll start to definitely see some results from more inclusive trials, and, and that'll be good for everybody. I'm gonna switch gears here and ask about um, face masks. It's funny, I had an epidemiologist on my podcast from Hong Kong about face masks, and I thought it was gonna be the easiest podcast, and I got so many um, emails and comments and opinions, and um, everyone was up in arms about it. But um, and you know, as I mentioned, I I have asthma. I developed it after a virus in my early 20s, and Um, there were a few times when I put on a face mask and, you know, and as you know, with asthma, when you start to feel like you might, you know, your throat might be closing up and then you start to panic and that just makes everything worse. Um, so what is, but I also wear a face mask and I'm fine. But so what has your, has been your organization's experience with that? Did you get a lot of questions? Did you get a lot of pushbacks? What did you guys end up advising people?
1: Yes. So we, we did hear a lot of concern around mask wearing. And, and again, I myself have vocal cord dysfunction, which makes a mask very uncomfortable at times. And, and so I understand the personal, um, you know, sort of, decision and right, and, and, and you have to really take into, that, into account that individual's likelihood of it making them safer or perhaps exacerbating or making their condition worse. And so we do advocate for, you know, the three W's, wearing a mask, hand washing, and social distancing, watching your distance. Those three W's are very important in managing infection control, quite honestly, all the time but especially when we're talking about COVID or the flu or pneumonia. And so these are are the three key aspects of infection control that we do reinforce with our community. Now, what we say is that if you simply can't wear a mask because of your asthma or COPD um, or because of vocal cord dysfunction, something like that, then you have to explain that to people. You have to be willing to share your story And why it is um, cumbersome or or hindering for you to do so and why you've made that personal decision. So I think it's all about respecting people's choice, um, certainly being informed, uh, doing your very best to protect yourself uh, from those uh, infectious areas and, and high risk behaviors. Um, but then also just coming to grips with what is your risk tolerance, because we all are unique and different and the level of risk that you may be willing to accept is generally quite different than maybe what I do. Right, right,
0: right, right. Um, so there was another section on uh, a virtual live event that I saw living well with asthma, which is about lifestyle. Um, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? What, what would someone get if they joined that virtual event?
1: Yes. So we would love for people to come and join the virtual Living Well with Asthma um, events. So it's actually a series of, of events that we've done to help think about the, the, the broader aspect of living with asthma. Exercise, sleep, meditation, breathing exercise, you know, all of these things that um, oftentimes we, we just sort of overlook as part of The holistic view view of living well with a chronic condition. And so um, we've had a variety of different activities um, and events that have drawn people to have these conversations to learn how to to perhaps breathe properly or breathe better, um, to learn how to meditate, to learn how to adapt exercises for those living with asthma in a way that makes it more manageable and easy to still stay
0: fit. That's great. I'm. I know for me, I've done, um, I do Krav Maga and I do a lot of martial arts breathing yes.
1: um,
0: and I just find it so beneficial, but you're right. People tend to downplay this stuff like, or they think it sounds too easy. Um, but uh, for me, it's been very helpful. So that, I mean, I might, maybe I'll sign up and check it out just to yeah, see. Yeah, please do. We've yeah, got- no, I always am looking for um, more tips and tricks. Um, What is the section on your website about uh, steroid overuse?
1: You know, this is a really um, soapbox, passionate topic for me, because five plus years ago, really, that is the only way that we could manage some people's severe asthma with systemic steroids like prednisone. And I don't know if you've ever had to take prednisone for any length of time, but it has a lot of Very challenging short term side effects and long term side effects. So, things like mood disturbance, sleep disturbance, weight gain. Um, You'll see people with like that moon face, a very round face. Yes. Um, And then, long term, it's things like diabetes, heart disease, um, osteoporosis, thinning of the bones. I mean, there's a lot of negative side effects of steroids. And so, over the last several years, we heard more and more patients express their frustration. They actually call it their frenemy. It's their friend because it helps them breathe. <laughs> but it's their enemy because of all these wicked side effects. Yeah. And so we began a campaign around appropriate use of steroids, steroid stewardship. And if you think back to 10 or 15 years ago, I liken it to antibiotics. 15 years ago, when I would take my little ones to the pediatrician, I expected to walk out with an antibiotic. And if I didn't, I was actually a little bit agitated, right? Because I had mm-hmm. taken off work. I needed to get back to work. I needed them to get well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now though, because of the education awareness, we're much more hesitant because of antibiotic resistance. And we, we, we second guess ourselves before taking an antibiotic. Do I really right. need Um, And even doctors second-guess themselves before prescribing it. And so that's what we're trying to get to with steroids, where now there are innovative treatments that don't have those side effects, that don't cause the harm short-term and long-term to patients, and and definitely that will help to manage symptoms just as effectively without that harm or downside.
0: Right, right. I mean, I was on short-term steroids, but I just did not like the way they made me feel. Um... I just, I didn't feel like myself. I got hungry and I just felt kind of like depressed. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's really
1: all the time. It really, it's, it's yeah. I mean, unfortunately I know, um, you know, dozens and dozens of women with severe asthma who have lost their marriages, who have lost their jobs, who, you know, have had significant wow. effects of long-term steroid use wow. because it does change you. It changes, um, you know, like I said, your mood, your sleep, uh, everything about you can be impacted by those systemic steroids.
0: Wow. Well, it's great that you guys are highlighting that again, because I feel like it's people just don't have that awareness, you know, and then it gets to a certain point and it's harder, it's harder to change. Um, so it's, it's good that you're offering that, uh, that awareness upfront. Tell me, uh, I don't know if this pandemic is going to end anytime soon. I hope it does. But for for this year, um, are you guys still focused mostly on COVID-19? Are there any big initiatives that um, you're promoting at this time? So... I'm right there with you. I wish that we could say
1: that COVID-19 was in our rearview mirror. Unfortunately, that's just not the case, right? And so I do think that hopefully we're on the downhill side of Omicron variant specifically. Right. Um, but question is, what will be the next variant or the next super bug? So I do think that there are some things that we just have, this is the new normal, right? Yeah. We have to adapt and accept this is our new normal. So what does that mean for Allergy and Asthma Network? Number one, um, we're gonna continue our core work, uh, a third on allergy, a third on asthma and airways disease, and a third on related conditions, and COVID being one of those, and long COVID being so vitally important to our community. So, we are going to continue to keep that as part of our core work. We're going to continue to drive awareness of these conditions through multi channeled approaches. We're going to continue to educate patients, caregivers, and healthcare professionals in very practical, evidence based approaches. And that's what you said about our resources at the beginning, which I love. Our team takes the latest science and makes it really easy to understand. And I think that's why we have such a high level of engagement within the community. Um, But we're also gonna continue that hyper focus on access and policy at the state and federal level and at the payer level that really ensures getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time with the fewest barriers because there's nothing more frustrating than knowing that there's a treatment out there but that you just can't get to it. Um, are having to, you know, have all of these undue barriers or burdens. So that's a lot of the work that we'll continue to focus on in 2022
0: and beyond. That's great. And in terms of, uh, are, are people able to afford these medications? I mean, some people may not have, you know, health insurance, but do, is that, uh, has that turned out to be a, a major issue? for you guys as yes, yes accessibility
1: right. affordability continues to be a great concern but the truth here in my opinion after 25 years in healthcare, is that we have to look more systemically it's sort of like what we were talking about with health inequities it's not just the pharmaceutical manufacturers that are responsible for pricing it's also pbms and payers it's employers and self-insured plans And, you know, we all have, it's health systems and doctors, we all have a responsibility to come around the table with the patient at the center and think about how do we reform the healthcare system so that we can have greater affordability and accessibility for all. And and in my opinion, you know, if we honestly just came to the table and were solution oriented, willing to maybe give a percent here and a percent there, we would make a huge dent in that 17, 18% GDP that healthcare is currently costing our nation.
0: Mm, Yeah. Like a, a layered approach almost. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people say big pharma, I think it's just sort of a, it's a, it's a line, it's a catchy line, um, to capture all of our frustrations, but you're so right. There's a lot of moving pieces under that umbrella. Um, that don't necessarily have to do with, you know, the, the drug companies themselves. But, uh, yeah, we do need to make medication more accessible and affordable in this country. Um, that's one of our biggest, it's shameful, really. I mean, it's shameful. No one
1: should have to choose between putting food on their table, a roof over their head, or buying their kids asthma medication to help them continue to breathe. Amen. That should not be a choice.
0: Yeah. No, unfortunately it is for far too many today. Yeah. So... Allergy asthma network.org. That's your website, right?
1: It is allergy asthma network.org.
0: Okay. And that's where people should go if they're interested in learning more. Um, and, and do you have a newsletter that they can sign up for? We do. So we have a monthly newsletter that goes over
1: the six or eight hot topics in allergy and asthma. We also have a research newsletter that goes out every two weeks about how you can get involved in more research and what research is coming out in our space. So definitely visit AllergyAsthmaNetwork.org to learn more about our events, sign up for the newsletter, um, and always we would love to have you engage in in whatever way you can to support the, the mission and the work that we're doing.
0: Absolutely. And you guys definitely go visit the website because it's truly a great display of scientific information and it's really easy to navigate. And I see a lot of websites. So I I don't say, I don't say that too often. So Tanya, definitely tell your team for me, but it's, it's great. Um,
1: I I dropped them in it today. They will be so happy.
0: (laughs) And thank you so much for chatting. Um, I learned a lot. Sounds like you're doing a great job and you have a fantastic organization definitely come back on causes or cures. And I wish you guys a lot of success in, in 2022 and beyond. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today to causes or cures. If you'd like to stick around, subscribe, that would be awesome. Um, help, you know, spread the word, share these episodes. This is a totally grassroots podcast. Um, And I really appreciate everybody who tunes in and everybody who shares their ideas for shows with me and all of that. Um, Keep it coming, I think it's great. And even if I don't get to respond to you individually, I do read your emails and consider your ideas. Um, I mean, and then just I do the best I can with trying to feature topics that you guys would be interested in. of course, there's an occasional guest that I'm just like, oh, I've got to talk to that person. <laughs> I bring them on, and maybe I'm the only person interested in that topic. I don't know. Um, that's that's the home court advantage of being the podcast host, though. But uh, in general, I try to make it a team effort. Um, all right, guys, and also I will include you know links to um, Tanya's site uh, in the podcast description, but I'll also include it in my blog. Uh, My health blog, bloomingwellness.com, I've been writing a lot there, so definitely check it out. Um, Lots of timely public health topics that I get into, and, you know, there's places there where you can comment and ask questions, that kind of thing. Um, And also, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter there, so that way we can keep in touch, and you will not miss a, a Causes or Cures podcast episode because you'll know, you'll know what's happening, because you'll just get the newsletter. I'm trying to schedule it so they go out every Monday. Um, but you know, again, grassroots effort, the schedules changing. Um, but it's always good to add some structure to what you're doing. Um, keep yourself disciplined. Okay, every Monday, a newsletter goes out. But that that's no, that is what it is. <laughs> okay, guys. Again, thanks for joining in. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your friends, your family, um, and uh, mind, body, spirit. All of that. Mind, body, spirit. And with that, I am going to head out the door for a run. All right. Bye-bye, everyone.